Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey Dave. Yeah Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I bet you did not expect this episode. And that's what we're going to talk about today because today we're going to talk about the Spanish Inquisition. And I gotta ask, as always, where do you, as I always ask my guests, where did the interest in the Spanish Inquisition come from? Was it around Atkinson Street, or did you know about it way before? No, actually, I uh, I didn't know much about the the Inquisition. Um, I was interested in religious persecution. I was interested in religious conflict, but I didn't think about studying the Inquisition. Um, I accidentally found out about it uh, just when I was at the University of Notre Dame. Um, in 1997, they acquired one of the largest private collections of Inquisition documents. And I uh, work, got to work with them. I could read Spanish and Latin. So I was in the right place at the right time. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, of course, the first question has to be, could you or could you not expect the Spanish Inquisition? Well, it, uh, it all depends. So um, they certainly could surprise people and uh, they kept witness testimony a secret. So you didn't always know if people uh, were denouncing you. And so you might be surprised. But generally speaking, one of the things that the Spanish Inquisition wanted was for everyone to know they were coming. So they, they were not a secret. They, uh, they published edicts of grace, edicts of faith to warn people that they had better confess before someone denounced them. And that's why they had public sentencing, public uh, executions, because they, they wanted everyone to know. Hmm. And where, when did, was the founding of the Spanish? Why did, why did they found, as, as famously, Spanish Spain was invaded by Umayyad Caliphate in I was a Muslim country. It was that part, and when it left, that became Christian again. Was this partly why the Spanish Inquisition was formed when they, they to to persecute yeah. the Islamic people of his who practice the faith of Islam? Not so much. Not at first. Um, the The Inquisition actually is older than Spain itself. Um, mm. Inquisition is actually just a Roman uh, form of legal procedure, so it goes right back to the time of Christ. Um, it could be also translated just an inquest or an investigation. So it's a very old form of legal investigation of any kind of crime. And it was sometimes used for heresy, sometimes for witchcraft, uh, not just by the church, but by the Roman state. And so when Roman law wasn't being used anymore in the early middle ages, uh, nevertheless, it was still theoretically available. Any bishop could use inquisition techniques to, uh, to investigate criminals. It had nothing to do with Islam. And in fact, uh, theoretically, when it was used by bishops, by people in the church, it was only to be used against Christians. Mm. You could not use it against Muslims or Jews. 
I thought they wanted to prosecute non-believers. No. So this is where it gets very interesting, though, because uh, normally the Inquisition, like in, in the rest of Europe, they had inquisitions in northern Italy and southern France that were targeting Christian heretics. And that was normal in the, the 13th century with this revival of Roman law. But in Spain, they had a special situation because after the 1390s, there were a number of pogroms against Jews. A number of Jews were forced to convert to Christianity. And these were known as the conversos, the, con the converts, sometimes insultingly called maranos. And, uh, and these people were suspected, even though they had been baptized, often by force, uh, of course, they weren't really all that enthusiastic to be Christians. So they were suspected, often rightly, of still practicing Jewish rituals and eating kosher food and remaining essentially Jewish, even though they had been baptized. So you see, there's a legal fiction here. They're Jews who were forced to convert to accept baptism. They still consider themselves Jewish. But legally, they are now considered Christian. That means the Inquisition can uh, approach them as Christians. And the crime that they would be committing was the crime of apostasy, to go away from your Christianity by returning to your, your Jewish roots. So at first, the Spanish Inquisition uh, was just a, an evolution of this old Roman medieval anti-Christian uh, way of proceeding against heretics. And there were inquisitions in some parts of Spain, but it wasn't very common uh, until 1478. So the Spanish Inquisition itself was only founded in 1478 by Isabel and Ferdinand. These are the king and queen who make Spain because Isabel was queen of Castile. Ferdinand was king of Aragon, yeah. today Catalonia. And the two made Spain in the 1470s. And one of their new ideas was, let's spread the Inquisition. Let's really crack down on all these suspected Jewish converts to cleanse our new country. After that, they started to do the same to Muslims as well, because after that, they started to force Muslims to convert. So is that part of why there was not many Muslims left in Spain? They said it was the news of the entire Islamic Part, part of the world, but today they don't hardly see it's a mostly Christian country. Yeah, there, there were a few stages. So uh, from the, the time of the, the caliphate, uh, you know, around the year 1000, mm -hmm. that starts to collapse. Uh, and then you have figures like El-Sid fighting against uh, the Muslims, sometimes fighting for them. Um, there was a slow reconquest of some areas. So by the 1200s, Valencia had fallen, Cordoba had fallen, eventually Seville. But there were still many, many Muslims in Granada uh, and also in Valencia because they were allowed to keep their religion at first. Uh, the conquerors actually, even though they called themselves crusaders, they were very interested in keeping Muslim peasants on the land and paying taxes as Muslims. So they, they didn't convert them. But it was only after 1492 that Isabel and Ferdinand, these were really the, the main characters here, these kings, uh, they conquered Granada, the last Muslim um, holdout. They did promise freedom of religion at first to the Muslims of Granada as well. But by the 1520s, there had been a number of rebellions and the Muslims were 
again, technically forced to all accept baptism. Now, even after the 1520s, everybody knew that most of them were not really Christians. So just like the Jews, they were now subject to inquisition. Um, but in many cases, they were allowed quite openly to continue as Muslims. And this lasted right up until the 1600s. And the last of these so-called Moriscos, the converted Muslims, were only expelled from Spain around 1609, 1610. And that's when they were shipped across to, uh, to North Africa. And that's why there's no uh, Muslims after that year, 1609. And what did you expect if the Spanish Inquisition came knocking on the door? Well, that's where we things- a bit about it, but if you could elaborate more yeah. in detail. That's where things got uh, much more scary. Um, so, you know, you, you might expect they were coming, but once they actually arrested you, you had no idea what to expect uh, because the procedure was kept secret. The testimony was kept secret so that you wouldn't know who was testifying against you. Mm. And the, the logic they used was, well, you should confess anyway. It's very different from later legal procedures like in America where you're you have the right to, um, you know, fight for your innocence, even if you're actually guilty. In this idea, God is going to judge you in the end anyway. So if you're guilty, you have to confess. So they don't give you the right to defend yourself. And uh, torture could be used, but only under certain circumstances. So normally, um, your best chance was if you confessed everything, that you could possibly have done wrong, um, and they accepted that, normally you would then be allowed to go with just a, a minor punishment. What would the minor punishment be? Sometimes it was just uh, to hold a candle in the back of the church on Sunday to humiliate you, to show that you had been caught, that you had, you had for, um, asked for forgiveness. So again, the theory, the Christian theory, there was a Christian theology behind this, was that you should confess your sins and then you would be given a penance. So this is not just the Inquisition, this is the Catholic Church generally, right? If someone confesses their sins, they're given a penance. The only difference here is that it was somewhat public. So you might have to carry a candle, you might have to wear a special hat or a special clothing. You might even be publicly whipped or have to walk in a procession. So there were different degrees. But if you what the worst punishment yet, if you will. Yeah. Technically, you should only be killed or executed if you had relapsed. So if you were caught a second time, then you would be executed because your first promise to be good was obviously a lie. So it, these are the, called the relapsed, and the relapsed would then um, be executed quite often. Uh, they would be offered if they were again willing to um, to admit their their guilt and to beg for mercy. They would be strangled before the fire was lit, but the body would then be burned. And even in cases where someone had already died in prison or they had died long before the the trial, they would dig up the body and burn that. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. But it was part of the public uh, persona to scare everyone and warn everyone. This is what happens. But how did people of Spain view, I'm not, I'm mostly referring to the Christian Spain of Spain. How did they view the Spanish Inquisition? Did they respect them? Did they fear them themselves? Or did they 
just think of it as a normal procedure. Yeah, there's a lot of debate about that. Historians have a hard time, you know, we, we can't uh, do public opinion surveys. So we look at evidence and there's evidence on all sides. There were certainly people who did not like the Inquisition. And we have a number of cases where inquisitors were actually murdered um, by popular mobs. So there were always people who did not like the Inquisition and sometimes were willing to take up arms against it. But whenever they had a public uh, event, a sentencing or an execution, we also know that thousands of people came to watch and they brought picnics and they brought their children. So many people also supported them. So it the was Inquisition, like a friend, French companion. Yeah, I mean, it, it lasted for hundreds of years. So obviously it had some public support. Mm. What, was, what was required to become a part of the Inquisition? Do we know this? Yeah, again, it, it evolved over time at first. Uh, it was mostly manned by the bishops and their staff, and then uh, by the religious orders, normally the Dominican order or the Franciscan order, um, but there were always exceptions. Then by the 1500s, it started to become more professional. And by the 1500s, the Spanish Inquisition became more and more staffed by lawyers. Um, so it was, you know, it really did evolve from being mostly church controlled to becoming more professional, more political and more legalistic. Was it popular to be a part of the Spanish Inquisition? Um, again, it depends. You, you certainly could become, um, you know, unfriendly to your neighbors. And so some neighbors might not like you, but there were privileges that came with it, very valuable privileges. So people did want to become a member. They could, um, you know, if you weren't one of the judges, you could become a familiar, which would be the, the sort of a soldier who would help them do the arrests. And a familiar would get tax uh, credits, would also be allowed to carry weapons where other people were not allowed to carry weapons. So it meant you could bully your neighbors. Mm -hmm. And it allowed you to, again, you could, you could use the power and the threat of the Inquisition to force people to give you better deals on real estate and things like that. Um, so yeah, there was a lot of prestige and a lot of power that came from being a part of the Inquisition. Was it corruption involved as well? Like you, seem, you said, you mentioned bullying their neighbor and getting deals. How much was, how many of the, was it easier to get, get, get corrupted? Like, let's say you touch me as practicing, being a practicing Jew. Yeah. And if you, if I paid you off, would that work at all? If I was a rich, if I was, if I was rich, and I yeah. want to pay you off to avoid persecution. Would that work? Sometimes, yes. Um, again, it's hard to generalize because this is something that lasted for hundreds of years. Yeah. Uh, so there were some inquisitors who were more corrupt than others, but there's a lot of evidence um, of bribery. There's also a lot of evidence of corruption um, in terms of the denunciations, because if you're having a fight with your neighbor, say over some land, one way to get rid of your neighbor is to denounce them to the Inquisition and, and get rid of them that way. Mm. And also by, you know, there, there were financial issues at stake because the, the kings didn't want to pay for the Inquisition. And their idea was that when you uh, convict someone, you could not only punish them personally, but you could also confiscate their wealth. And that money would be confiscated by the Inquisition. So the Inquisition had a, a monetary uh, reason to arrest especially rich people 
and yes, either believe them, uh, accept bribes, or just you know convict them and and seize all their assets. So you can take all the assets if you want to, and you're risking instead of take just taking a bribe. That would be easier. Um, yeah, bribes. It's always dangerous though because you know you give a bribe, you still don't have any guarantee that they're not going to yeah. still arrest you and keep the money. Um, but there was a lot of politics involved. So we have lots of cases where wealthy Jewish families, and sometimes not just Jewish, there, there were a number of very high profile uh, Christians who were arrested by the Inquisition as well for various reasons. So why, um, why would the Christian become persecuted by, a, by a well, Inquisition? It would be mostly as a result of a heresy. So again, that's the 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 normal rule here is the Inquisition is supposed to attack people who are heretics, who who deviate somehow from what the church considers to be orthodoxy. So converted Muslims or Jews who go back to their religion, they're apostates, that's a form of heresy. For Christians, um, there were many heresies in the Middle Ages, the Waldensians, the Cathars, but in the 15th, 16th century, this started to develop into Protestantism. So by the 1520s, the main reason that a Christian would be arrested was if they were uh, sympathetic to Lutheranism or to uh, Calvinism. And one of the most famous of these high profile arrests was actually um, the head of the Spanish church and someone who worked in the Inquisition himself. This is Bartolome de Carranza. So why was he arrested in the, in the first place? Yeah, he was arrested on suspicion that he was a Lutheran sympathizer even though he was the Catholic Archbishop of Toledo. So just to be a sympathizer with the, with the Protestant, he was arrested? Yeah, and of course, because he was the head of the church, there's a lot of politics involved here too. So yeah, of course. He was very close to the king, Charles V, and he was at his deathbed when he died. But then Charles's son, Philip II, reversed a lot of Charles's uh, policies. And one of the first people he got rid of was the Archbishop Carranza. So there's politics there, there's power, there's money, there's corruption, all these things at, at stake. Um, we talked about cor corruption in the Inquisition as well, but what, what, were they, what, would they be, what if they were caught by the bishop for being corrupt, would they be expelled from the Inquisition or what, what didn't it really matter? They were prosecuted. The, the people they called were they prosecuted, the bishop didn't care, or did they, were they, what would the consequences of being caught, of being corrupt? Yeah. I mean, just like today, if you're good at corruption and you pay off the right people, then you can get away with it. Um, but no, it was a dangerous game. And there were many cases actually where the church did intervene and many inquisitors were arrested on charges of corruption. In fact, I mean, we, we talked before about heretics being the main group of Christians that were targeted, but I should also mention that the Inquisition did get used a lot internally against Catholic priests for various misdeeds, including corruption, also including uh, sexual transgressions. Uh, this whole idea of uh, sexual abuse by priests, this was also happening in the 16th century and the Inquisition was used to, um, to punish those priests. So priests and inquisitors were punished for corruption. They were punished for sexual sins. 
Uh, they were punished if they were suspected of orthodox uh, deviations from orthodoxy. Um, it was still dangerous to be a priest. You you faced a lot of scrutiny that way. Cool. And I assume back then priests shouldn't, Catholic priests shouldn't get married as well. That's right. So any any sexual activity at all by a Catholic priest was a betrayal of their vows as a priest. And so arguably it's a form of heresy, especially if they don't apologize. I mean, again, you could get away with it pretty easily if you apologized. Um, and we see this is still a problem with the sexual abuse scandals in the Catholic Church, right? People apologize and they just get moved on. Uh, that happened in this period too. But if if you were unrepentant, if you were a repeat offender, then it could get quite serious. Hmm. Um, now let's move on to the Inquisition going to South America. And what were the, what was the job there? Because as, as they find a new land and they take over this, uh, the Latin American countries and Mexico and all, all the countries that were there, what 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 for a job in there because there wasn't many Christians yet. There were, I assume, there was not very many Christians there at least. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So at first there was no Inquisition. The first people who went over were just conquistadors. They were soldiers. They would sometimes bring um, priests with them to hear their confessions, give them mass and last rites, and so on. So there were a few priests who came over uh, to serve the soldiers, the Spanish Christian soldiers. By the 1510s, there were enough Spanish settlers that there were bishops set up in Cuba, in uh, the island of Española, which is today Haiti and Dominican Republic. And uh, they started to actually use inquisitorial practices, as you say, against the Christians. Um, some of those first soldiers going across some of them were conversos, some of them were converted Jews, some of them were converted Muslims. That's part of the reason they wanted to get out of Spain, to get away from the Inquisition. So, uh, so they did inquisit um, some of the, uh, the Christians in the New World. But you're right, by the vast majority, the, the, the local population was not Christian and conversions were slow at first. Um, and in fact, you know, again, just as they had done in Spain, at first, there was not a lot of interest in converting the Indians because they wanted to be able to force them to work and pay taxes at a higher rate than Christians. Mm -hmm. But by the 1530s, a more permanent, after the conquest of, uh, of Mexico, a more permanent Spanish settlement started. And the first bishop, Juan de Sumaraga, uh, actually did start using inquisitorial procedures even against newly converted Indians. So the same logic as we saw in Spain, an Indian is not subject to the Inquisition, but once he's baptized, he is. So we did have some executions of Indian leaders in the 1530s uh, because they were accused of going back to their Indian faith after receiving baptism. And was it, yeah, I didn't say this as well, but it was to, so it would be used to those, let's say, with Jews and Islam, as if they went back to practicing their original beliefs. What? Exactly. Yeah. And so if they hadn't been baptized, they were not subject to the Inquisition. And the Inquisition, I mean, partly, again, because they wanted to make money, they, they still mostly arrested wealthy merchants, wealthy Christians. 
Um, arresting uh, impoverished Indians, especially once colonialism had destroyed the local infrastructure and economy, there wasn't as much money to be made. So they often did leave many of the Indians alone. Um, and in fact, by 1570, the Spanish crown developed a new policy. And they said, basically, the Indians are not subject to the Inquisition, even after they convert. So a new Inquisition was set up in, in Mexico City and another in Lima, Peru in 1570 that was only supposed to prosecute crypto Jews, crypto Muslims, and crypto Protestants. That doesn't mean- know it went. Yeah, I mean, it still doesn't mean that the Indians were treated nicely. They were still, uh, they could still be punished and prosecuted by the local bishops, um, but they were not, it wasn't the Inquisition. Um, but but I wanted to ask because if you said that they didn't take people who did not convert, but would it be easy if I was a Native American and I, the Spanish Inquisition came and said you drove back to your own religion, would it be easier to, for me to say, hey, I never converted in the first place, so yeah. just lie like that? Would it, would that be po possible? Sure. Yeah. I mean, and. Again, we're talking about hundreds of years and thousands yeah. of people, so there's every example of this. But um, in Mexico, for example, uh, many of the, the Indian elites very quickly learned Spanish and learned Latin even, and uh, became quite good at legal procedures. So yes, we do have a number of people who were quite, quite good at defending themselves in the courts. Um, but of course, the, the more well-known they were, the harder it was to argue that they weren't baptized because everyone knew they were but, baptized. But like if I was just a normal native, it wouldn't yeah. be easy to lie. Did they have records that said that he had converted? They did, but they were not very reliable. So, I mean, it was pretty easy if you really wanted to escape the Inquisition. You could just leave the village and go to a different village. Um, but again, the Inquisition really wasn't trying that hard to catch most indigenous people. And after 1570, they didn't try at all. So there's not a whole lot of inquisitorial violence against indigenous people. But again, I, I wanna qualify that there was a lot of other kinds of violence against indigenous people. It just wasn't the inquisition itself. Yeah. It was the bishops, it yeah, was yeah. The, the army and so on. And um, that would of course be, a, be an episode of stone. But what was it well paid to be in this in Spanish? And again, I want to refer back to that we talked about corruption, etc. But was it well paid in the Inquisition itself, just normal salary? Yeah, no, it it wasn't. And uh, so most of the people who took part in the Inquisition had other jobs. They had other uh, sources of income. Those who were priests would have a, uh, a benefice. Um, those who were familiares would have their own lands and so on. Um, and in fact, that was one of the reasons why corruption was so easy to take hold. There were many cases where inquisitors weren't paid anything at all or weren't paid for years. And so they felt quite justified in taking money themselves. So um, it was a volunteer job, basically. For the most part, I mean, you could get some minor stipends, like there were jailers, there were, uh, you know, different people who, who got a notary would be paid, lawyers would be paid. Um, but again, the payment was generally not that high and it was not always reliable. So that was a temptation to, uh, to augment your salary with bribes or, or corruption. 
And when did the Spanish Inquisition dissolve? What what were the reasons that they didn't want the Spanish Inquisition there anymore? Yeah, no, it, just like it, it, it was a gradual process to start it, it was a gradual process to end it. The Spanish, um, the country of Spain was taken over by a new French monarchy in the 1700s, the Bourbon monarchy. And uh, this, the 1700s is known as the time of the enlightenment in Europe. Yeah. And the Bourbon were thought of as enlightened monarchs. So they were happy to use the inquisition politically against their enemies, but they also were very critical of the inquisition right through the 1700s. And they tried to reform it and make it more an arm of the state and more directly controlled by the government and less and less uh, religious uh, influence. They also were running out of targets. I mean, by the 1700s, there's really no crypto Jews anymore, no crypto Muslims. Um, so they start prosecuting atheist university students. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there, there were a few witchcraft trials as well. So it was, it was already waning and it was becoming less and less popular with the elite. Uh, one of the last um, prime ministers of Spain before the Napoleonic invasion was Manuel Godoy, who famously had uh, paintings by the, the great painter Goya in his apartment, including the, the naked Maja, this famous naked painting of a woman. And he got in trouble with the Inquisition because of this. So he really didn't like the Inquisition yeah. to begin with. This is around 1800. So is he part of what dissolves the Spanish Inquisition? Sorry? Is he the part of why he this why the Spanish Inquisition was dissolved? Well, so he was ready to dissolve it anyway. So it was already just about to be closed. But the last straw, well, there's a couple of steps. In 1808, the French invaded. Napoleon's brother, Joseph Bonaparte, became the ruler of Spain. The French closed the Inquisition in 1808. The Spanish considered this to be illegitimate. So the Inquisition continued in Mexico. It continued in Peru. It also continued in Colombia, where they had a new uh, Inquisition. Um, but the, the French were kicked out by 1812. The liberal Cortes of Cadiz, uh, Spanish government in exile, voted to uh, end the Inquisition anyway. But then the king was brought back, Ferdinand VII, and he reopened the Inquisition. So it was closed in 1808, then it was reopened by 1814. It lasted another 20 years. It was finally closed for good in 1834. But here's an interesting coda to that. By then, the Spanish Inquisition really wasn't doing much anyway. They were, you know, investigating a few books, a few university professors. But after the Spanish Inquisition closed, that doesn't mean the Inquisition ended. Hmm. The Inquisition is still around today. Really? And there was the, uh, There is a building in Rome, right beside St. Peter's Basilica, which is the headquarters of the Roman Inquisition. And they continued to do the work of the Inquisition right up until today. I've worked there. I've, I've been into their, uh, their archives. What is um, it like? They have comfy chairs. Are uh, there people or are they for the living? What is the job today? If they're still so, 
Yeah, I mean, the, the job theoretically is exactly the same as it always was. It, it's always in theory been to police and discipline Christians by, by discovering heresy and then stopping heresy, telling people to stop it and, and threatening them if they don't. But of course, in the modern world, uh, they don't have the, the power of the state anymore. Yeah, to, people are more to religious, tolerable, and people don't really care anymore, you know. Exactly. So, I mean, they never had any power over anyone who wasn't living in a Catholic country, right? I mean, they could, they could get mad about Lutherans, but Lutherans in Germany or Norway or England didn't yeah. care. Um, it was only if they were in a, in a Catholic country where the government was willing to arrest them and allow an execution to take place. So even today in modern Italy, the Italian government does not allow arrests or torture or executions by the Inquisition. So right now, what the Inquisition has done for the last hundred years in Rome is basically they read uh, books written by Catholic theologians and they decide which ones are okay and which ones aren't. And when they do find someone um, to be guilty, and that this has happened quite recently, um, they may make them lose their job if they are working for a Catholic organization, but they don't have any power beyond that. They can't execute people anymore for unpublished squares. Yeah. That's right, but they, they do, um, I mean, this is still a, a serious matter among Catholics, and uh, there are a number of Catholic universities, especially in Europe, where um, you can lose your job if the, it's called now the Congregation uh, for the Doctrine of the Faith, um, if they find you guilty, then you can lose your job, and this has happened to a number of people. Um, you may know that the, the last Pope before this one, Benedict XVI, he was the head of the Inquisition before he became the Pope. What, how do you feel about the Inquisition being around today? You think well, yeah, I mean, as a historian, I study a lot of very nasty things. Uh, wars, crusades, inquisitions, witch hunts, all these things are very terrible things. And, and when even one person is tortured or abused, it's it's horrific. So, I mean, I certainly have a, a political and a personal uh, feeling that the Inquisition was always a very, very bad thing. But I also, as a historian, have to uh, take things in perspective and take a more dispassionate view. The, the Inquisition today is no more sinister or frightening than many police forces or well, I mean, I, I teach in a university and we have discipline uh, for professors who make mistakes or, or act badly as well. So the world has many forms of discipline. This is one that the Catholic Church uses internally for its own people. Uh, so it's not really any of my business. But certainly in history, the Inquisition is responsible for a lot of bloodshed and a lot of misery. Um, you mentioned that there were several other, few other countries that end up had Inquisition as well, but what made the Spanish Inquisition so successful and stay around so long, and of course so famous as it is today? I, I think it gets back to politics and also to history and history writing. Um, yeah, they, there was a Portuguese Inquisition, which was quite powerful and lasted up until the 1820s as well. Uh, there were a number of inquisitions in different parts of uh, Italy, and there were temporary inquisitions all over Europe. 
wherever there was a Catholic hierarchy, you could have a temporary inquisition. Normally it was just brought in if there was a political problem, a large group of heretics. Um, so why the Spanish Inquisition? Why does it have such a reputation? I would trace it back to all the writings of the, the religious wars between Catholics and Protestants in the 15 and 1600s. Uh, in England, for example, in, in the Anglophone world that I live in, um, of course, King Henry VIII made England a Protestant country. His son, Edward, was even more Protestant. But then for a short time, uh, his daughter, Queen Mary, became the Queen of England. And she remained a Catholic. And she actually married King Philip of Spain. And she brought the Spanish Inquisition to England. She was only in power for a few years. But during that time, she had a number of Protestant uh, leaders burned at the stake. This became a major propaganda issue. So English historians, um, Protestant English historians, have generated thousands of pages just over and over talking about the horrors of the Spanish Inquisition and what we suffered and what could come back again if we ever relax our, uh, our attention. Because after Mary died, her sister Elizabeth became the queen. And you Elizabeth may know from course. history, uh, Elizabeth I, and as you know from history, the Spanish Armada tried to invade. So there was a real fear that the Spanish would take control of England even after Mary died. And this generated more and more propaganda to warn people, if we let the Spanish come here, they'll bring the Spanish Inquisition and you and your children will be tortured and burned. So it, I think that you know there is a legitimate reason to, to, uh, to complain about the Spanish Inquisition. They did terrible things. Were they worse than the Portuguese Inquisition? Probably not, but they became more famous uh, because they were a bigger political threat. And furthermore, you know, Protestants also burned people at the stake. Um, this wasn't just a Catholic thing. So uh, some of the worst witch hunts in Germany and, and also in Scandinavia um, were conducted by Protestants. Mm. And many women uh, were burned at the stake and tortured. Also in America, the famous uh, Salem witch trials, these were yeah. done by Protestants. So, you know, anytime that anyone tortures and kills a human being, it's terrible. And Catholics did it, Protestants did it. Uh, Muslims have done terrible things. Sometimes when Jews have had power, they've done terrible things. Yeah. Humanity doesn't need to be one religion or another to treat others terribly. Yeah. But because of history, yeah, there's the good Spanish people, there's, bad, there's bad Christians, there's good Christians, there's good Jews, there's bad Jews, there's good Muslims, there's bad Muslims. Yeah. It's that story. Power mm. makes, makes people do bad things sometimes. Yeah. But what do, you, what do you think the Roman Inquisition today should be abolished and just basically do nothing, as, like you said? Well, I mean, it's none of my business. I'm, I'm not a Catholic and I'm not uh, involved with the, with the church in any way. But, um, you know, I think that all religions have their own way of determining who is inside and who is outside. And all religions have a way of deciding what is their true uh, faith and what is not. Um, you know, 
just to take another example from history, Spinoza, the famous Dutch um, philosopher, he was Jewish and he was expelled by the Jewish community using a, a legal procedure to expel him because his teachings were considered heretical from the Jewish point of view. So my point there is just that, um, you know, whether the church has something called the Inquisition or it's now called the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, or whether they develop some other way of policing their own uh, their own community doesn't really matter. I mean, I just hope that people will not be cruel and not be unfair. Mm. And of course, I gotta ask, I always ask in this case, what did he think of the Roman, Roman Atkinson's kids about the Spanish Inquisition? Um, I like uh, I like Monty Python. I like Rowan Atkinson. I like um, I like the skits. They're very funny. Part of what makes them funny, of course, is just the juxtaposition, the absurdity of it. Um, historically, interestingly enough, when you look at the Monty Python skit, remember they're all cardinals. They're all wearing red. Yeah. That would make them part of the Roman Inquisition, not the Spanish Inquisition. Although in the Monty Python skit, there is one historical character, Cardinal Jimenez. He was the Cardinal who brought um, the Inquisition to Granada and he was the one who started to use it against crypto Muslims. Mm -hmm. So there is some history there, um, but mostly it's absurd and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you so much for coming. Before you go, do you have anything you wish to promote on your social media and then add a link you want me to put in the description of this episode? Uh, well, I do have a website through the University of Notre Dame, uh, which has a number of Inquisition documents from that collection that I mentioned at the beginning that got me interested in the first place. So if anyone wants to see those documents, uh, many of them are scanned or otherwise described on the Notre Dame website. And I hope to have a book out very soon about the index of prohibited books, which was uh, what the Inquisition used to tell everyone which books were bad and which books should be burned. Sounds fascinating. Sounds fascinating. My name is Alan. This has been that H12. We are available on Spotify, YouTube, wherever Apple Podcasts, wherever you can find podcasts. We are also on Instagram under well.h12. My guest today has been Robin Lose. I hope I said that right. Thank you so much for coming and I'll see you next time. Thanks very much. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.